eight. Isaiah 28, the verses 1 through 13. Uh, just for what it's worth, the uh, scripture readings this afternoon are all in connection with the theme of the sermon, which is the gift of tongues. Uh, so you can look for uh, that line that threads through these different passages. Isaiah 28, beginning in verse 1. If I knew which horn that was, I would be able to tell you which card is. <laughs> Since I don't, we'll just keep reading. Uh, Isaiah 28, beginning in verse 1. Ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong, like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters. He cast down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot. And the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like a first-ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. In that day, the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate." These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk? Those taken from the breast? For it is precept upon precept. Precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by a people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people, to whom He has said, This is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose, yet they would not hear. The word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. So far the reading of Isaiah 28. Let's also turn now to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2. Verses 1 through 13. That's all you had to do. Just step outside. (laughs) Acts 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. 
And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. So far from Acts chapter 2, finally we'll turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. First Corinthians 14, and we'll read that chapter. Pursue love, and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now brothers, if I came to you speaking in tongues... How will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit... But I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say Amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than ten thousand words in a tongue. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues, and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but for believers. If therefore the whole church comes together, and all speak in tongues, and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all. 
The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so, falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two, or at most three, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, so that you may all learn and all be encouraged. And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace." As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but all things should be done decently and in order. So far, the reading of God's Word. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together, Given to me, to make me by true faith, share in Christ and all His benefits, to comfort me, and to remain with me forever. So far, the Heidelberg Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we're taking a second week then to to look more closely at at this question of spiritual gifts under this doctrine of of the Holy Spirit. Uh, And and by by spiritual gifts, I do mean uh, in particular, we know that there, there are very many Uh, spiritual gifts, and indeed all that we have is given to us from the Spirit of God, life itself, uh, is it could be called a a spiritual gift, but I mean here particularly the miraculous gifts that we find in the New Testament uh, associated with the outpouring of of the Spirit, Uh, particularly speaking in tongues, prophecies, and healings, Uh, and those will be our focus for the next uh, few few weeks. Uh, there, there are a number of other miraculous or extraordinary gifts, but these are the ones that uh, perhaps deserve the most attention uh, as they also receive the most attention in our cultural uh, context. Now, uh, that, may, that might not seem like a, a highly relevant uh, topic to focus on uh, here in a Reformed church, uh, but it is one that we should take seriously. For one thing, we have the texts of Scripture that speak at, in some detail about these spiritual gifts, and so we should strive to, to understand them, to, to know what these gifts were and, and what these texts teach us. Uh, that is, after all, what it means to be a Reformed church, a church that strives in everything to, to model ourselves after the Word of God. Uh, 
In addition to this, uh, it should also be relevant to us because of the massive Pentecostal movement taking place in the world right now. Pentecostalism is by far uh, the fastest growing branch of the Christian religion. Uh, Many of us will have friends, perhaps family members or co-workers who belong to to so-called Pentecostal churches. Uh, And so these things matter, and it is our calling, uh, as with everything, to to rightly search the Word of God to understand these these things. Now, there's no question that in in the days of the early church, uh, the early Christian church, from the day of Pentecost onwards, the Holy Spirit, uh, having been poured out to the church, manifested His presence in these miraculous gifts, speaking in tongues, prophecies, healings, and a number of other gifts. Now, the question before us, then, is is what should we think, particularly of these miraculous gifts? Uh, Are are they things that we should still be be pursuing? After all, Paul says in in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. He also says, do not forbid uh, speaking in tongues. Uh, so what should we, as a church, think of, of these things? Uh, there are, there are some, some groups that even insist that, therefore, we ought to be pursuing uh, these gifts and desiring them. And, and some groups that even would, would go so far as to say, if we don't have them, that's a sign the Spirit is not among us. Uh, we should examine uh, those sorts of claims. Well, to understand these questions, we do need to, to understand what the gifts actually were, uh, what they were for, and, and what purpose they served within the, the, the New Testament Christian church. Uh, this afternoon, then, we're looking uh, particularly at this gift of, of tongues. Uh, we did consider this very briefly uh, several months ago on, on Pentecost Sunday, uh, we touched on on this topic, uh, and I had a number of questions directed to me afterwards via email about this, and so uh, that, that also played a role in why I thought, hey, this is a good thing to, to spend some time on. Uh, it, it is good then for us to, to, to seek to understand what this gift is all about. Uh, to do that, then, we start with asking the question, what actually was the gift of tongues. The way it's described in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the, 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 the Spirit was poured out on the believers, and the gift of tongues was the, the God-given ability to speak the gospel or to speak the Word of God in human languages that had not previously been learned or studied. Uh, That's what we see in in Acts 2. Uh, The disciples, and by the way, that's probably the 120 disciples, not just the 12. Uh, We often assume it was only the 12, but the the book begins with 120 disciples gathered together. Uh, They were gathered in secret, and they heard the sound of a rushing wind, and suddenly flames of fire appeared above the heads of, of each of the disciples, and they began to speak in other languages. Uh, now, at that same time, many nations were gathered in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost. We, we saw a long list of the different regions and, and places they, they came from. And, and they were there and heard the disciples proclaiming the gospel in their own native tongues. Uh, a number of points that we can draw from that. Number one, there, there are some who, who speculate that the gift of tongues was not so much a gift of speaking, but a gift of hearing. 
Uh, and so they locate the gift in the hearers, uh, the people who are gathered, and they say, well, the disciples were just speaking in Aramaic, uh, the language they spoke, uh, and, and the people around heard them each in their own language. Uh, part of the reason for that is they need to figure out how you've got 17-plus nations listening to presumably 12 disciples, but as we saw, that, that isn't even an, an issue. Uh, there were probably more disciples than just the, the 12 Uh, But the scriptures are actually quite explicit that, no, it's a gift of speaking. Uh, It it says uh, in in verse 4, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were speaking in tongues. Uh, Another important thing to recognize here is they were speaking real human languages. Uh, The crowds gathered there came from all over the the Roman world, and they marveled precisely because they heard the disciples speaking in their own language. Uh, They they were real human languages, and we'll come back to that point in in just a few minutes. Uh, Secondly, so that's what the gift was. Secondly, we asked, what was the gift for? Well, to understand that, we need to look at the broader, the bigger picture of, of Scripture, Uh, The story of Scripture, as we've seen before, uh, from beginning to end, is a story of a war. A story of a war between two different kingdoms. The kingdom of man, uh, which is the kingdom of Satan, and the kingdom of God. Uh, And as you trace your way through the history of Scripture, you see these two kingdoms at war with one another. Well, one of the places where, where this came to a head is Genesis chapter 11, Uh, which took place right after the flood of of Noah. Uh, God had then commanded Noah and his sons, go out, spread out over all the earth, establish yourselves over all uh, the earth, uh, and fill it and subdue it. Uh, But the very next chapter, Genesis 11, the nations decided, no, let's not do that. Uh, And instead, let's stick together and build a big kingdom uh, with a tower right in the middle that reaches all the way up to heaven. Uh, So there you have the kingdom of man under the rule of Satan standing up in opposition to the plan and the kingdom of God. Well, God's response to that effort, if you know the story of the Tower of Babel, uh, was, was to stop that right there in its tracks, confusing their languages and forcibly uh, causing them to spread out uh, by, by destroying the bond of language that held them together. Now often, uh, like if you read a children's Bible, that's the end of the story. Uh, everyone abandoned the project and they went on, on their way. Uh, but in Scripture, that's only halfway through the story. That's only half of, of that story. Uh, that's the part where God stops their move. Uh, they, they played their play, and God stopped them, confusing their languages. The second half is God moving forward, taking his move uh, for the kingdom of God. Uh, so the very next verses, in the beginning of Genesis 12, God then calls Abraham, out, or Abram at the time, out of Ur, uh, and thus begins his first steps to gather the nations, uh, but to gather them not in rebellion, but in submission to him. And so God called Abram and God promised, I will make of you a great nation, you might say a great kingdom, uh, and through him all the families of the earth would be blessed. As a promise. I'm going to gather, uh, but I'm not going to gather like that. Uh, they won't be gathered for, for that. 
Uh, so the story of Babel then is a story of God gathering and scattering. Uh, God scattered the nations who had joined together, uh, and He did so with the ultimate purpose of gathering them for redemption. Now, that promise of gathering, as we saw also on the day of Pentecost, is a promise that is never lost sight of in, in, in Scripture. And it was particularly enshrined in the Feast of Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost was the harvest feast, uh, the, 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 the feast when the crops were gathered, and was used as a feast to constantly remind the people of God's purpose to one day gather His harvest, a harvest not of wheat, but a harvest of nations. Uh, one of the ways this was remembered was the singing of Psalm 67. I never get tired of saying this, so sorry if you've heard it. Uh, but Psalm 67 was the Pentecost song made of seven verses, each with seven words to remember the 49 days leading to, to Pentecost. And it's a song that, yes, gives thanks for the gathering of crops, but focuses on the gathering of God's harvest, the calling of all the nations to worship God. Well, if if we have that redemptive historical purpose in mind, uh, we can much better understand what took place on the day of Pentecost. Uh, We might ask the question, why, out of all of the, the miraculous gifts God could have given... Why did God give the gift of tongues? If you stop and think, it's quite a a surprising thing for God to do. Uh, It's a strange miracle, and and you you recognize there's there's more going on than God just showing off His power. Uh, He could do uh, many different things than, than that. But it's not so strange when we understand what God was doing on Pentecost, uh, bringing to fulfillment His promise to Abraham that He will gather all of the nations. Uh, And now, since Christ had ascended into heaven, and what happened when Christ ascended? Daniel 7, He comes to the throne of God and what's given to Him, a, a kingdom that all tribes, peoples, nations, and languages should serve Him. So Christ is now the King, of every nation, of all the languages. Uh, Jesus had said it Himself before He ascended. He said, look, the fields are white for the harvest, uh, indicating this is about to to get started. Uh, What then was the purpose of the tongues? The purpose of tongues was to proclaim in an unmistakable way, the day of the harvest has come. Uh, God is going to gather what God previously scattered because now Christ is king. And they're going to be gathered not into their kingdom, but into his. Well, that's what Pentecost is all about. The day of the gathering of the nations. The day of the launch, you might say, of world missions. Uh, the, the day that uh, when, when the nations whom Christ had bought and had been given to Christ, uh, were, were now to be gathered by the Spirit-empowered preaching of the Gospel. Uh, so, so the gift of tongues ensured that the Gospel would not stay in Jerusalem, nor stay in Judea, nor even stay in the Aramaic language, but would explode out from there uh, to, to reach the furthest nations. Uh, This is why we should always remember Pentecost uh, with a future hope, because that's what the day is about. It's the hope for the future of this world, that God will gather uh, the nations of this earth. Now, all of that has implications for the question that we want to examine, which is, does the gift of tongues still exist today? Now, on the one hand, uh, the, the harvest is still ongoing, 
That, that hasn't changed. We're still in the Pentecost age, uh, so to speak. That, that mission uh, continues. The nations are, are still being gathered. On the other hand, it's pretty clear that the, the gift of tongues had a very unique purpose in that particular age. Uh, when the harvest was just beginning, the gift of tongues ensured that it wouldn't stay. And it ensured that everyone would know the harvest has begun. Well, now the harvest has been 2,000 years uh, in, in, in process, uh, and it's quite obvious that the nations are being gathered. It's quite clear uh, that, that God's purpose was bigger than Jerusalem and Judea and even Samaria. Uh, the, the, the message of Pentecost has been heard loud and clear with the growth of the Christian church throughout the world. Uh, the gospel has gone out, uh, and, and that, that much is, is indisputable. Uh, that fact, uh, though it doesn't necessarily require the gift of tongues to have ceased, uh, certainly does mean it, there's no need for such a gift today as there was in that day. There's yet another purpose for the gift of tongues to which we should also pay attention uh, because it also has implications for this question of does this gift still continue today? Uh, In in 1 Corinthians 14, the text that we read together, uh, Paul tells us we should not be infants in our thinking but rather be wise. Uh, and, And then he explains that the gift of tongues, it's an interesting argument he makes, is a sign not for believers but a sign for unbelievers. Uh, whereas prophecy, he says, is a gift for uh, and a sign for believers. Now, what, what does Paul mean by that? That the gift of tongues is a sign for unbelievers. Well, Paul cites Isaiah 28, the, the uh, chapter that we also read. Uh, there in that chapter, we find God rebuking His people Israel uh, for, for trading in the message of grace that God had given them, trading it for a message of works. Uh, so He says, to, to, whom will, uh, to, to whom will this message go? To those who were trained on milk, trained from the breast, that is, to, to Israel, who I cared for since infancy? Look at them. They've traded in my message of rest, for a message of works, precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Uh, how is the message going to come from them? So God is rebuking Israel for trading in the gospel for a gospel of works. Uh, what the Jews had done was, was, as they continue to do even today, taken the, the, the law uh, which had been given uh, for, for their salvation and made it uh, made it into an empty religion of works, rituals, ceremonies that must be performed in order to earn what God had freely given. Uh, and what that turns into, it turns into meaningless, empty religion. Even as today with, with the Jews of today, it is meaningless, empty religion. It does no good for salvation. Uh, the force of this prophecy in, in the original uh, Hebrew is, is even clearer uh, because there where God says they, they have traded in, it in for precept upon precept, line upon line, and, and so forth. Uh, in the original Hebrew, uh, it sounds like the babble of a drunk man uh, as, they're, as they're reading it. I'll, I'll read it for you. It is, it is uh, in the Hebrew, Tzavlatzav, Tzavlatzav, Kavlakav, Kavlakav, Zirshayam, Zirshayam. 
You listen to that, and it's just it's a crazy man talking. And it sounds that way even in the original Hebrew. Uh, so God's prophetic response to his people is, if that's what you want to do, you want to trade in the gospel for a religion of works, uh, then fine, you will have it that way, and for you it shall be. Tzav tzav, kav kav, here I am, and so forth. Uh, because, he says in verse 11, by a people of strange lips and a foreign tongue, God will speak to this people. You want nonsense? You want emptiness? You'll get emptiness. You'll get nonsense. You'll hear the voice of God in a language you don't know, in a language you can't understand. Uh, The sign of God's judgment then uh, to those who had rejected and corrupted His words is they're going to hear Him speaking to them no longer in the language they know, but in a foreign tongue. And the message there is is loud and clear. Uh, If you don't want to understand the gospel, you don't get to understand the gospel. And that's the message too, that the day of Pentecost proclaimed loud and clear to the Jews. The Jews who, if you remember Romans 9, the Jews who had been entrusted the oracles of God, their greatest gift that the Jews possessed was the voice and the words of God in their midst, who had always heard God speaking to them in their own language, such that even today our Bible is, is, is originally in the Hebrew It's a reminder constantly of of this was once the possession of the Jews. Uh, And yet, they will now hear the voice of God in a tongue they will not understand. They've lost their most precious gift. Well, Paul quotes that prophecy in 1 Corinthians 14, and he says, Therefore, the, 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 the sign of tongues is a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers, but believers. The gift of tongues was a sign to unbelieving Israel uh, that judgment was upon them. You won't hear the voice of God anymore. Uh, It's what Jesus himself had declared earlier in Matthew chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. He says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the very sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Uh, the, The sign of tongues was a clear message from God. The gospel has left you. You are without it. You won't even be able to understand it anymore. It's gone off to the Gentiles. It's gone. Uh, It's not your possession. Uh, It's what Paul also teaches us elsewhere in Romans chapter 11, uh, where he says, Salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel jealous. It's there as a sign to them, you've lost what you once had. Now, that too has implications for the question we want to look at, which is, does the gift of tongues still exist today? Uh, once again, we can, we can recognize it served a very unique purpose in that day that it doesn't serve anymore in ours. Uh, indeed, to the... For, for the Jews who, who still exist today, uh, they don't need the gift of tongues to recognize that the Word of God is being spoken in languages they don't understand. That's true by, by virtue of the fact that the churches now spread throughout the, the world. Uh, they don't need the gift of tongues to hear that message of judgment. Now again, that doesn't necessarily mean that the gift of tongues had to cease. Uh, But it certainly gives us good reason to expect that it might. 
uh, it was a gift meant for that time, that age. And so we come uh, to a third argument against uh, the ongoing nature of the gift of tongues, and that's the the historical argument, one that that should matter to us. Uh, The reality is the gift of tongues slowly faded away during the very first century of the Christian church. Uh, By the second century already, it was a a rarity. Uh, It it showed up occasionally, but it showed up primarily in in heretical groups, which is hardly an argument for, for why we should I believe it's still around. Uh, It showed up very occasionally in the second century and was gone after that. And here's the thing. If, in fact, the gift then has passed away, as we should expect it would, uh, if it has passed away, then we, for our part, cannot and indeed must not seek to resurrect it. Uh, We can't force the gift back into existence. Now, one of the, the strongest Pentecostal arguments for the ongoing gift of tongues is that if you take a brand new Christian, stick him in a room, uh, have him read the New Testament for the first time, there's no way he's going to come out uh, b- being a, what's called a cessationist, believing that the gift of tongues has ceased. Uh, he would read it and he'd assume it must still continue today. Well, maybe so, uh, but the fact is history shows otherwise. The gift of tongues, history says, has ceased and hasn't been around for nearly 2,000 years. If that's the case, should we resurrect it? Should we force it back into existence just because we believe it ought to still be around? Uh, The Pentecostal movement today is motivated largely by that belief uh, that speaking in tongues is supposed to be a permanent feature, and so we're going to make it happen uh, one way or another. Uh, They'll look at the church of the first century and compare it to the church of today and say, the church today is dead because it doesn't possess that gift. Well, history suggests otherwise, uh, and, and Scripture gives us good reason to expect otherwise. Uh, in fact, there are, there are many things that, that, that belong to particular times of history that we don't assume exist forever. The gift of apostleship belonged to that time, does not continue today. Uh, God, or you think even in the Old Testament, God had the tabernacle built and the, te- and the temple built, gifts that existed for that time that are not meant to continue today. Uh, God sent prophets uh, in, in those days as well, Elijah and Elisha, doing mighty works uh, that belonged clearly to that time. Even in, in the Old Testament, in the next centuries, those gifts faded. Uh, God does things in different ages that doesn't require us to believe He will continue to do the exact same things in every age. Uh, In the New Testament church, God led the believers, uh, particularly in Jerusalem as well, to to share all things in common. Uh, And and why? Because they had the awareness that the city was going to perish. Uh, There's no lasting possessions. Why? They were selling their properties uh, to to give to the poor. that, That does not mean that every believer today should sell their property and share all things in common. It's, it's, it's a thing that happened in that age. Uh, so, so here's the principle. We should know the age in which we live and follow Christ accordingly. Now that's not to say, it's not to say God couldn't still use the gift of tongues uh, if God saw fit to do so. There's, there's certainly nowhere in Scripture that says God cannot 
use the gift of tongues. The Spirit does all sorts of things that that take us by surprise. Uh, And there are some credible accounts of missionaries in foreign lands that did speak in in, in the language of the the indigenous people without having having studied it. And there's no reason to to have to discount uh, those, those stories. So we don't put God in a box. We don't say, well, God cannot do this or that. But we do say, listening to Scripture, knowing the times, we do say we don't need to demand or expect that God will do the same thing today that he did in that age. It doesn't have to be a sign that the Spirit is not with us. It doesn't have to be a sign that we've lacked the baptism of of the Spirit, as, as some would allege. It's simply a reflection of the fact we live in a different time, in a different chapter of the same harvest. Uh, and that being the case, uh, it is important that we not seek to resurrect this gift if God hasn't given it to us. And I would go so far as to allege that's what Pentecostal churches are doing today. Uh, the Pentecostal movement began in, in the early 1900s in California, uh, where a gathering of Christians decided there's no uh, biblical evidence that the gift of tongues should cease. Uh, and so they began speaking in tongues and claiming that it was the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, there, there are some serious problems with that claim. In the first place, the gift as they practice it simply is not the gift of tongues that we find in Scripture. In in Scripture, the gift of tongues was, as we defined it earlier, the Spirit-given ability to speak the gospel in foreign human languages. Uh, uh, That is clearly not what happens in Pentecostal churches today. Indeed, most Pentecostal churches don't even pretend that that's what's happening. They say instead they're speaking in the tongues of angels or in spiritual tongues. Well, that's a very different thing than what we find in Scripture. Uh, now, now, when this, this practice is examined uh, linguistically, it's very obvious that what's being done is not speaking in real human languages, but it is rather the construction of the human mind. It bears, in fact, no resemblance to human languages. It, it lacks the, the basic structure, the basic rhythm of, of human languages. Uh, sometimes, as I've heard it before, it, it can be as simple as the repetition of a single syllable. Is that speaking in human languages, or is that something else? Uh, other times, uh, when, when someone is, is more practiced, uh, it, it can start to sound a bit more like a human language, but that's a problem because it shouldn't be practiced. Uh, The disciples didn't practice it. It was given to them. Uh, It it, it wasn't learned. Uh, I I know from my own uh, experience, I know many uh, former Pentecostals uh, in Brazil who were excellent tongue speakers uh, when they were Pentecostals and and walked away from that knowing full well that what they did was learned, was practiced, and was not truly a gift uh, of God. Uh, even if it can lead you to a state of, of, of euphoria uh, where, where it might happen almost automatically without you thinking about it, uh, it's still a state you train your mind to enter. Well, that's a different thing than what happened in Scripture. That's not the gift of tongues. Uh, 
In fact, you can even find that kind of thing practiced in other religions. Uh, If you look at Sufi Islam, uh, speaking in tongues of that kind uh, is also characteristic of that that mystical branch of Islam. That's not what we find in Scripture. Uh, now, now, sometimes the, the appeal is made to 1 Corinthians uh, 13, where Paul talks about speaking in the tongues of angels. And they say, well, look, there's a whole different category, tongues of, of, of angels. Uh, but if you read that in context, it's quite clear that Paul is speaking in hyperbole. Uh, he says, if I were to have all knowledge and all revelation... I've never heard of anybody who's had all knowledge or all revelation. And if I were to speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I gain nothing. Paul is not there commending speech in the tongues of angels. He's making a point. Uh, Even if I could, uh, if I had not love, it would still be unprofitable. Uh, it's, It's an obvious hyperbole. Uh, sometimes as well, the appeal is made to 1 Corinthians 14, uh, where, where Paul talks a, a, about the one who speaks in the Spirit as one who's uttering mysteries uh, between himself and, 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 and God, uh, who speaks not to men but to God and who utters mysteries in the Spirit. Uh, the biblical understanding, though, of the word mystery is not something that is, that is mysterious as in unsearchable, unknowable. Uh, but it is rather something that was formerly hidden in the Old Testament and is revealed in the New. So yeah, the ones speaking in tongues, as the disciples did, were speaking mysteries, but they were revealing those, those mysteries. Uh, here too, in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, even though Paul says they, they speak in mysteries, he's referring to it, the speaking in tongues as a revelation of, of what God had formerly hidden. As well, when he speaks of them uh, speaking to, to, to God and not to men, uh, his point in the whole passage is you shouldn't do that. Uh, if all you're doing is speaking in a tongue by yourself, at best, you're speaking just to God. You're not speaking to men. And his whole point is don't do that. His point is speak for the purpose of building up. Uh, and, and so he, he, he commands the churches, if there's no interpreter then don't speak in tongues. You shouldn't speak just to uh, speak so, so-called mysteries between yourself and God. Well, that's a very serious point because in the vast majority of Pentecostal and charismatic churches today, there's no concern at all given to that command, which is a command, Paul emphasizes, a command of the Lord. Uh, The pastor, oftentimes, or the congregants, will will burst out in these these ecstatic uh, speeches, uh, speaking in tongues, they suppose, uh, and, and no effort is even made to interpret. Well, whatever you think of the gift of tongues, it should be clear that practice is forbidden in Scripture itself, and Paul emphasizes by saying, this is a command of God. Uh, Even setting aside the question of whether it is or not speaking in tongues, uh, to do so without interpretation is strictly forbidden. And that leads to another important point. If a church is willing to tolerate a disobedience to Scripture, to ignore a, a command of Scripture and do what is forbidden, by the word, why should we believe that what they're doing comes from the Spirit? 
And I know that that may sound harsh to, 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 to say it that way, but here Paul says we're not to be children in our thinking. We're not to be deceived. We are to exercise discernment. Uh, and if someone is doing what's forbidden in Scripture and is not concerned about that fact, we ought not to look to that person or that church as a model uh, for, for the, the way the church should believe and practice today. In addition to that, even if there is an interpreter present, there are some, some Pentecostal churches that maintain that, yeah, we do have interpreters whenever someone speaks. Even so, uh, we must recognize that speaking must be from God. It's not something to take lightly, uh, because to claim to be speaking in tongues, even if you have an interpreter present, to claim to be speaking from the Spirit, uh, if that's not what's actually happening, is to take God's name in vain. That's not something to, uh, to, to uh, play games with. Uh, speaking in tongues is a form of God speaking through man. Uh, so you, you make a claim when you're speaking in tongues that God is speaking through me. Well, you better be right about that, uh, or you're taking God's name in vain. Uh, it better be from God and not from man. Uh, false prophets are condemned in the strongest terms uh, throughout Scripture, both Old and New Testament. Uh, and then given the reasons that we've already seen from Scripture and from history to, to question that such a practice still occurs, uh, we should be most cautious and most skeptical even about claims today from, from those who say the Spirit is speaking through them via the gift of tongues. We should look at that with, with care uh, and, and with much caution. Uh, and for ourselves, as we reflect then on this gift, uh, what should be our, our response to it today? Uh, we should do with that gift what Christ intended for it, uh, which is in the first place to recognize that gift in its time. Uh, to marvel at the way that scriptures find their yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's what the gift was there for us to see. When Christ came and Christ died and rose and ascended and the nations were given to him, he went to begin his harvest. And we see all of scripture finding its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. That's what the gift was there to proclaim. Uh, so the scripture has, has recorded these things for us precisely so that we would be amazed at how all of scripture, all of prophecy, finds its perfect fulfillment in Christ. In the second place, another point of application, the Spirit would surely teach us through these things uh, that we too, in our chapter in this harvest, we too should participate using the gifts that the Spirit has given us. Now, whatever your thoughts about the gifts of tongues, uh, certainly we can agree that here in Alora, we have no need of the gift of tongues in order to fulfill our mandate. Uh, we can certainly be witnesses to the gospel here in Alora without having any need of, of, of such a gift. The Spirit has given us the gifts that we need. Uh, he's given us the faith that we need to look to Christ day by day. Uh, he's given us the knowledge of the gospel, and of course we can always grow in that knowledge and, and should. Uh, but we do have some knowledge of, of the gospel by God's grace. That's a gift from, from the Spirit, and, and a gift that should be put to good use. That, that knowledge is not simply to be uh, kept and locked up within ourselves, but to be used uh, to, be uh, to, to be witnesses to, to Jesus Christ. 
And, and, and the Spirit has given us also the gift of love. The gift that Paul says is the greatest of all the gifts that the Spirit gives. Uh, faith, hope, and, uh, and, uh, faith, hope, and love abide these three. And the greatest, he says, is love. Well, the Spirit has given us that gift. Uh, and surely we can put that to good use. That's love for God love for one another, love for our community, love for the lost. Surely we can put that gift to good use in our time, in our chapter, in this mission. And finally, the gift of tongues is a reminder to us as well to never cease praying and laboring for the work of mission around the world. It's that constant reminder God has his eyes set on the furthest nations, on the far ends of the earth. That's what the gift of tongues proclaims. And so the Spirit, even today, is working in many men and women laboring for that very cause. We think of those who are working in Wycliffe Bible translators laboring to, to translate the scriptures. And yes, it takes them four, six, eight years to master a language. Does that make it less spiritual than God giving it all at once? Surely it does not. Uh, they are pursuing the work that God has given them to do and doing it with the gifts that God has given them for that work. Uh, so let us also participate in this world harvest, in the work that God has set right before us, and never cease to pray as Christ taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Christ's purpose, and that's what the gift of tongues proclaims. Amen.